Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to District of Conservation, episode 49. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. You may know me as a media strategist, consultant, and award-winning outdoor writer. I'm also the Resurgence DC correspondent, where I sound off on center-right politics and conservation. When I'm not working, I'm spending my time outdoors as best as I can, in spite of living in and around, quote, the swamp, end quote. I'm a lifelong angler. I picked up a gun for the first time when I turned 19, and I just became a hunter at the age of 26 two seasons ago. I hope you're enjoying the content and interviews conducted here. If you ever have suggestions on topics or special guests, feel free to field those my way. I'm happy to hear what you have to say. I must also mention the fact that I am so grateful to the ladies of Real Camo Girl for sponsoring the show since its inception last September. If you want to learn more about them, check out realcamelgirl.com and follow them on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm going to be discussing three interesting things today on the podcast. The first being what you can expect on season two of District of Conservation, the phenomenon or epidemic, so to speak, of adult onset hunting, and discuss a little bit about Aurelia Skipwith's nomination in the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works that took place last week. Now that we've entered season two of the podcast and that it's in full swing, I wanted to offer a preview as to what you can expect for the next year. I'm going to classify seasons according to the calendar year. So if when we hit September of 2020, it's going to be season three. But each ep- each season will roughly be about 48 to 50 some odd different episodes. But here's what you can expect this season. I'm going to discuss more trending topics as it relates to conservation and public policy. I'm going to bring on more guests from in and around or those who work in or travel to the Washington, D.C. metro area because everyone is affected by what happens here federally elsewhere across the country. So it's important to bring on different storytellers or newsmakers that impact our industry for better or worse and so much more. In fact, next week, I will be conducting the first interview of season two with veteran outdoor writer and Fredericksburg freelance star outdoor columnist Ken Perrott. Ken, I've mentioned before on the podcast, is someone you ought to read and check out if you have not already. He's done a lot here in Virginia and is well known in the national scene and is very highly regarded among outdoor writers and communicators. So you're going to hear more about him and what his advice is for budding outdoor communicators, especially my fellow millennials. You do not want to miss that. So please bookmark this podcast, subscribe and download to not miss that. Do we have an epidemic of adult onset hunters at our hands? When you hear this term adult onset hunter, it likely may trigger some fear and warning and alarm. Why is that? Because if you break down the term, quote, adult onset hunter on face value, it sounds like an ailment or disease. You may think it's a condition that's spreading like wildfire, that it has contagious properties. Perhaps it's life-threatening. 
and you're going to be exhibiting these certain symptoms. But I can assure you, being an adult onset hunter is nothing for cause or alarm. Unlike typical onset conditions, which are most ailments or diseases, choosing to voluntarily become a hunter in adulthood shouldn't worry you or concern you whatsoever. People who are adult onset hunters exhibit perfectly normal behaviors, yet they are far more enthusiastic to wake up early. They will spend hours in a blind. They will dedicate a lot of time studying animal behavior, and they'll be keen on tracking whenever animals are riding. The industry uses this term liberally to describe people, especially millennials, who give hunting a try later in life. So now it's become second nature to refer to new hunters in this manner. As you know, from the 2016 National Survey that was released by the Fish and Wildlife Service, that's often cited by people like me and other commentators and reporters who cover hunting, sporting activities, things of that sort. People are well aware that there are challenges to hunter recruitment, yet I have seen indications, and I think it's being documented quite well, that more people, especially adult onset hunters, are giving this activity a try. I happen to be one of these people who considers herself an adult onset hunter, giving this a try, having started back in 2017. I've always had a curiosity about hunting, but I never thought I would give it a try. And there are two reasons for that. My parents didn't go hunting. My dad once, as he mentioned here on the podcast, helped my uncle skin a moose in a Lithuanian national park because my uncle had special permission to do that. And living in Southern California, hunting was really never advertised or openly spoken about. In fact, I found it to be like a taboo subject. Fishing was widely accepted and there were political attacks on fishing and there still are today. California, I realized now that I live outside of it, actually was considered one of the best places for outdoor activities, including that relating to hunting and fishing. But because I didn't grow up with a family that did hunting, like I said, I'm from a family of anglers. My dad's an avid angler, and I've learned everything that I know about fishing from him. And because I grew up in Southern California, where hunting really wasn't discussed out in the open, I didn't get to pursue hunting until I moved to Virginia about seven years ago uh, after graduating from college. And then I really got to act out on my interest in pursuing it when I became self-employed in summer 2016. I've had good and bad seasons in my young journey so far. I think any other adult onset hunter can tell you it isn't something instantaneous. You're not going to have success immediately upon trying it. When I went for the first time, I had really dumb luck in harvesting rooster pheasants, chuckers, quails, and, and a ruddy duck. That was my first season about two years ago in fall 2017. This past season, I had what you consider a terrible season, but a season of learning. I didn't take any successful kill shots. I had clean misses in several hunts. And when I went turkey hunting with my friend Chelsea and her dad down in Southern Virginia, we weren't able to shoot the turkey hen because you're not allowed to do that in the springtime or in general because it's against hunting ethics, of course. So we got to see and observe hunt wild turkeys out in the open in the la- on the last day of spring turkey season back in May. And I think other adult onset hunters have had similar experiences. I recommend to adult onset hunters or those contemplating becoming adult onset hunters to really start small. Start small and work your way up to bigger species or to the big game species. People have told me recently, they've said, well, you should work on training to target and pursue bull elk out west 
And I tell them I'm not ready for that. No way. Not in the next few years, maybe five or so years down the road. Or they tell me you should go bear hunting. I am probably going to try a black bear hunting in the coming years because we have a huge population of them. They're more than plentiful. And our department of game and inland fisheries is actually encouraging people to help cool the numbers, but I don't want to be or get too big for my britches when hunting, because I just want to take as much as I can to absorb this new activity for me to take in everything as best as I can to not make unforced errors, to have fun, to learn from people and to enjoy the great offerings that nature has to offer. Hunting is not just a kill. You should know that if you're an adult onset hunter, hunting is not simply about harvesting an animal. If you are lucky to harvest an animal, because it's not easy to harvest many species, especially the bigger game types. If you are lucky to harvest, that's great. And that's something you should enjoy and be proud of, especially if you did so by ethical and legal means. But hunting is far more than that. It's waking up early to admire a sunrise, or if you're hunting later in the day, to admire a sunset. It's spending time with your family and friends over coffee and sitting in a blind or seeing the dew and mist that collects in the trees and and different types of shrubbery that you may encounter on your hike or walk to your hunting spot. It's so much more than a kill shot. And that's something I've realized when I first entered this sport several seasons ago, because you ha- it has, it's like fishing. You have to enjoy everything about it or learn to enjoy everything about it, whether it is just sitting on a boat, waiting for the fish to bite, or perhaps admiring the scenery nearby and going to different locations, whether you're going by foot or by car. It's an all-encompassing experience, and that's how hunting has to be for you, especially if you're new to it, you're learning the ropes and things of that sort. But That is my spiel on adult onset hunters. It's not an ailment. It's not an illness, but it's something that we should be encouraging for those interested in taking up hunting. As you may well know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Director nominee, Aurelia Skipwith, testified before the U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works last week about her qualifications for the position. This position has been vacant for quite a long time. And last congressional session, Ms. Skipwith was to be confirmed, but Certain people in the Senate, especially Democrats, held up her nomination because of her ties to Monzato and a few other places. Currently, Ms. Skipwith serves as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Her nomination, believe it or not, has received praise from many conservation organizations, including the Congressional Sportsmen's Foundation, the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports, Delta Waterfall, National Shooting Sports Foundation, National Wildlife Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Safari Club International, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, and Quality Deer Management Association. I will read for you part of her opening statement. It reads like this. My respect for the outdoors and wildlife began at an early age. My summers were spent in Mississippi where I helped my grandpa on a hog farm in his garden and with the hound dogs. I studied animal science at Moorhead State University and biology and research at Howard University, which spurred my intrigue in discovering and testing new theories to challenge the status quo and to bring forth new innovative technologies to better our world. After receiving my degree from Howard University, this interest continued as I pursued and obtained my master's of science degree in molecular biology and genetics in animal sciences from Purdue University in Indiana. You can see that Ms. Skipwith has pretty unanimous support 
among sportsmen's groups and highly regarded conservation groups. She does appear to have the credentials to lead the agency. She's already serving in some capacity at the agency, but yet it now will just take Democrats in the Senate to finally allow for a full vote to and confirm her in this full vote to allow this vacancy to be filled. It's more than timely to get the Fish and Wildlife Service director position filled. We have to fill this position. It's important. It's important to have someone who could supplement the Department of Interior Secretary, Secretary Bernhardt, in their role to advance true conservation policies. And any stalling of this is going to impede those efforts and hold back conservation efforts in this country. I've talked about Ms. Skipwith before, and I hope this time around this congressional session, they actually do confirm her. So please encourage your senators, if they haven't already, to support Ms. Skipwith and to lend their endorsement to her. I will comment back as to when that full vote is going to happen, if it already didn't happen under my nose, and I haven't failed to report it, but I will update you as to when that full vote will come and if a confirmation will be immediate. I hope you enjoyed this episode of District of Conservation. To help us reach more people, please pull up Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform. Download episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and if you feel inclined, leave a review. All these efforts will go a long way to helping us be heard by more people out there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a guest announcement or to see when episodes come out. They come out weekly on Tuesdays, and I think you're going to find them to be interesting. I appreciate you giving consideration to this podcast and what I have to say and, and what people I bring on have to say. I hope it is sparking some unique conversations and offering a different perspective than what you may think conservation is. Have a good week. Stay tuned for my interview with Ken Parrott next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Thank you for listening and have a good week.